Amen. You know, every time you're under the Word, it's transforming you a little bit more. Amen. And turn to your neighbor and say you could use some of that transformation. Yes. Amen. I want you to go with me over the book of Proverbs. And I'm going to talk uh, about diligence in terms of something the enemy is actually after you concerning. And many of you have the kind of experiences uh, where you'd say, yes, that's absolutely the case. But in uh, Proverbs 24, verse 10, this from the NLT, it says, If you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. If you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. How many still believe the promise in Galatians 6, 9 is true, that if you sow, what's going to happen? You're going to reap. You shall reap if you, the scripture says, faint not. So the power of the word there is that it says you shall reap. Say it with me, I shall reap. But the caveat is what? If I don't faint. Well, first of all, we're taking for granted that we're sowers. Say it, I'm a sower. But sowing's not the only element in the scripture. The refusing to quit, the fainting not, is just as relevant as the sowing. So if the devil can't get you by keeping you from sowing, he will come after you in such a manner that he will try to get you to faint or to quit or to backpedal in terms of your walk with God. If you don't have this down, write this down. When we say diligence, we mean steady application to any business or any endeavor. That means you just keep on doing what you're supposed to be doing day, week, month, year in, year out. It means you don't quit no matter how difficult the challenge is, no matter how big the pushback, no matter what people are saying, how many know sometimes people can be ugly. But it's not what they say about you that matters. It's what God says about you that matters. And so you're diligent in terms of your steadiness, in terms of your effort, no matter what that cost is, no matter, you know, how long it takes. Look at, look at somebody and tell them, don't look at the clock. Don't look at the checkbook. Don't look at what year it is. The only thing the Bible does tell us is to look upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We should be looking at what his word says. And that's where you receive the strength, you know, and the, and the long-term benefit, the ability to do this is found in where you cast your gaze and where your focus is at. Hebrews 10, 39 says, we're not of them that shrink back. Say it with me, I don't shrink back. I have come too far. And some of y'all have been believing some things for a very long time. This is not the time for you to quit. Don't let the devil have his way now. After all the punches you have taken and all the, the garbage you've put up with, don't give him the advantage now in your life. Diligence is needed for all manner of increase, spiritual, physical, and material. If you're going to have increase, you're going to have to practice this thing called diligence. Uh, like what Jerry Savelle said, you won't find anywhere in the Bible where somebody quit and had victory. You won't find anybody in the, in the Word where they quit on God and God commended them for doing that. But you'll find lots of places where people were commended for not quitting. Even when they didn't see on earth the thing they were believing for. Abraham and them never saw the city whose builder and maker and founder was God, but they believed. I tell you what, what you want to do in this life is stay in faith. If they find you on a good day, you're in faith. If it's the worst day of your life, you're in faith. Amen? As you grow up, you're in faith. When you're facing the most difficult situation or circumstances in your life, wherever we find you, we find you in faith, 
not quitting or imploding in terms of your heart. No one is commended in Scripture for quitting. But a lot of people are commended for hanging in there. And I tell you, you have seen some of these things in your own life. You should be encouraged because the Lord is pleased with that. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. The reason this is so important, because you and I have trained ourselves uh, more in the Western thought, that God is pleased when we get the manifestation of our faith. God is pleased when you simply believe. Now, if you believe, you're going to see a manifestation. But don't make the mistake of thinking that God jumps up and down because the manifestation is there. How many understand our manifestation is not going to make him thrilled? What could we possibly manifest in the universe that he has not already seen or has not already planned? I mean, he flung the stars into the sky. Our manifestation is not going to get him to jump up and down. Now, he's happy for us, he's joyful for us, but it's actually the faith that pleases him. That there is confidence in your heart and in your mouth and in your thought life concerning God and his word and what he says. It matters that you, drew, you, uh, you, know, you view God as trustworthy, as a person of integrity. That when he speaks, it's true as far as you are concerned. Listen to this scripture in Jeremiah 12, 5, and I want you to turn there. I like when I go to the Word of Find, I find a Noah who wouldn't quit. Amen? I find a Joseph who wouldn't quit. I find a Paul who wouldn't quit. You find a David who just wouldn't quit. And even Job, guess what? Wouldn't quit. And was responsive to God, even though he's going through a very, very tough time. Jeremiah 12.5, of course, uh, Jeremiah is pouring out his complaint to God. And how many understand, if, if you employ uh, God to talk to you and answer your question, how many know you better be ready for it? It's like, hey, Joe, brace yourself. I'm going to question you. I'm going to redirect here and deal with you. Same thing here. He's pouring out his complaint and God responds. And I want to focus on this one verse in verse, five, verse 5. God says to him, if you have raced with men on foot... And they have worn you out. How can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? What's he saying here? You couldn't even handle being pressured by men. How are you going to deal with demonic horses? How are you going to deal with a beast? If you can't even deal with people. And trust me, I have had to deal with people, so I understand that people can wear you out. But a lot of people are giving up the things of God, giving up on their destiny because people have worn them out. How are you going to deal with real enemies when you can't even deal with people? Same thing with the other side of this scripture. How are you going to handle where God is taking you if you can't handle where you are right now? If you can't deal with it right now, how are you going to deal with it in that promised land that God has for you when there are still many enemies to root out so that you can have that safe passage and that peaceful existence. I'll tell you what, this is not the time for you to let people wear you out. It's not a time for you to let something get into your, into your spirit and into your heart to take you out of God's best. And here's what I want you to hear tonight. The devil is working tirelessly to wear you out. To wear you down. To completely push you and entice you so that you would give up. 
We don't lose because God's a liar. We don't lose out on things because God doesn't keep his promises. We don't lose out because somehow God's word won't work for us. What happens is if the devil identifies you as a believer who trusts God's word, you're one of them crazy faith people, turn to somebody and say, I knew it, you're one of them crazy faith people. What will he do? He will try to push on you and wear you out so eventually you'll just kind of give up and implode on the inside. And I've watched a lot of people in the body of Christ where it looked like on the outside they were just fine, but on the inside they'd given up. Nothing good's going to come to you by quitting. But the devil is in overdrive. And some of you can say, my 2020 certainly was marked by the devil trying to get me, you know, pressure me to quit, to throw things away, to throw things aside. How many glad you didn't quit? Because a lot of people have. I was talking to somebody today, you know, about the condition of the American church right now. American church is extremely apathetic and extremely anemic, and they have been able to suck into this COVID thing and use it as an excuse for the withdrawing from the heart of God. And God's not pleased with that. Because if you'll be moved by a little invisible enemy, you'll be moved by visible ones. In other words, if you can't handle COVID, you certainly won't handle what the devil's about to throw out on this planet. Moving right along. Amen. Turn to somebody and say he's preaching better than you're laughing right now or shouting or crying. Amen. He's trying to wear you out. You know, it's just the way it is. You know, life is just horrible and then you die. Well, that's a terrible attitude, isn't it? No, the enemy is trying to wear you out. And he'll do anything fair and unfair. He'll use anybody and anything to get to you. If you don't enjoy God's increase in his best, it's not because it's not God's will. It's because you finally got to the place where you're wore out and you're going to give up. In other words, he wants you to give up your fights and just kind of let that canoe turn around and just float on downstream where there's no pressure. You know what? You're right. Go on with the flow with everybody else, all the religious folks and all those that aren't really walking with God seriously. You're right. A lot of pressure will be off you, but I promise you this, you'll never have God's best doing that. You pick up your paddle and you just keep on doing it. You keep on paddling. Amen. And you remember that if you wait upon the Lord, he will give you what? He will strengthen you so that you can paddle a little bit more. Because everything God has for you, every good thing, is upstream, not downstream. So don't pay attention to all the people, the masses of people that are then floating. You know, a lot of people have this uh, lazy river mentality of how things work. They just want to sit on a tube and just kind of float downstream. And that's how they do things. And it looks like that's the right way to do this thing because that's how most people are in the body of Christ. But all of a sudden, you see somebody breaking through the inner tubes on their canoe. And they're straining and they're grunting and they're sweating. But you know what they know? They know there's something in the other direction that the people on their inner tubes don't know. Yeah, you can just float on your little religious inner tube just fine, have a little party, you know, get you some little soft drinks and just enjoy your little ride. But you can't have God's best that way. And a lot of you realize that, and that's why the enemy is trying to get you to a place where you're worn out and you give up the fight. Say, look, I'm not a quitter. I'm not going to stop believing God. Write this down, what diligence means. First of all, it means we have our marching orders and we do not deviate from them. We have our marching orders, and we do not deviate. If the Lord gave you something to do, how many know it was a command? Like a military officer to somebody who's in, the, in that unit, this is what you're supposed to be doing. And we don't deviate. To deviate, of course, is to succumb to the pressure. It's what we call sometimes the 
you know, the concept of the second word. God gives you a word, and here comes some other good idea behind it, trying to get you off the course. No, when you hear from God, stick to it. You have his marching orders, do what he's telling you to do. And he does this with all of us, not just people, you know, that, that work secular jobs, you know, and are full-time with the Lord in their ministry there and the faithful church. He does this with, with equipping ministries. He does this with pastors and prophets and teachers and evangelists. He does this with people who are leaders in the body of Christ as well. Number two, we don't quit under pressure or opposition. You're going to have pressure and you're going to have opposition. Diligence means we don't quit under pressure or opposition. Well, I don't want any more pressure. Well, there's only one way to alleviate that. Moving right along. As long as you're alive in this body, you're going to have what? You're going to have pressure. You're going to have opposition. Number three, we don't pay attention to the circumstances. If you didn't learn anything else last year, don't pay attention to the circumstances. These things didn't come to stay. They came to what? They came to pass. As you pay too close attention, your, your mind is just going to basically start smoking, you know, right out of your ear because of the craziness that is out there. Amen? Allowing, you know, grown men to compete in women's athletics by the signature of the President of the United States. Look at somebody and say, that's just wacky. Does that make sense? Whenever you say, uh, cast a doubtful eye towards some of their, quote, science on climate control, they scream out, oh, you don't believe in science. You don't believe in science. Wait a minute here. I believe there's a male and female. What's wrong with you? Who doesn't follow the science? I don't care what you do to somebody's body internally, chromosomally, they're always going to be male or female. Hallelujah. How many glad you at least got that figured out? And then our governor's made the director for you know, economic recovery in our country for the task force. That's like making Dr. Kevorkian the Surgeon General. What is going on in this planet? What? Look at science say this world's gone crazy. And it'd like to take you down with it. No, we don't pay attention to the circumstances because that won't edify us at all. And, you know, don't think it's going to get any, any crazier. It, it is. But you're not focused on the crazy. You're focused on the one who's not crazy. You're focused on the one that is true and always speaks the truth. The other day, there was a, a survey that was quoted by the governor. 78% of the people support of the lockdown in Kentucky. They got that from hashtags on the internet. The actual survey was that like 82% of the people in Kentucky wanted Kentucky open. I, I haven't heard a correction yet out of Frankfurt yet on that one, but we're still waiting. Number four, we're not moved by what we see. And we see a lot. A lot of strange things out there. Say it with me, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I hear. I'm not moved by my feelings. I'm just moved by the Word of God. Amen. Let's all wake up our mouths tonight and say it with me. I'm not moved by what I see or hear or feel. I'm just moved by the Word of God. That's the safest place you can be, isn't it? Number five, we're consistent even if everyone around us is undependable. We are consistent, even if everyone else around us is undependable. 
if the majority is undependable or flaky, you don't join them because you're diligent. You just keep on doing what you're supposed to do. Number six, we're steady in the midst of uncertainty and confusion. And there's a lot of confusion out there. But God's not the author of confusion. He's the author of peace. And he's the one that can give you singleness of mind and purpose of heart. Number seven, certainly this applies to us. Diligence means we're not given to laziness. Or starting and stopping. Starting and stopping. There have been many people in the years, they start church, they stop church. They start reading the Bible, they stop reading the Bible. They start serving, they stop serving. They start tithing, they stop tithing. And guess what happens? They will fight you tooth and nail to tell you how diligent they have been through the years. And guess what? Starting and stopping is not diligence. Starting and continuing, that is what diligence is all about. In other words, a lot of people would like to have supernatural increase, but without diligence, you're never going to get there. You're never going to get to the place where, you know, your diligence and your faith meet actual manifestation if you can't keep doing this for any length of time. It doesn't happen overnight. Nothing, you know, resolves itself overnight. Nothing grows overnight. You have to hang in there regardless of what you see. So we're not given to laziness. Say it, I'm not lazy. I'm not a sloth. I saw this video the other day of a sloth with a baby sloth on its back, and it was going across the road, and all these motors stopped to watch this. And I couldn't believe my eyes. I mean, this thing literally moved like that. That's <laughs> just a miracle. It wasn't hit by a car. How do you understand? You cannot be a sloth and, and increase supernaturally. You're going to have to move just a little bit faster than that to get what God has for you. I want to talk about Paul for just a moment, because he had every opportunity to lose his fights and his diligence. Look at somebody and say, keep your fight. Keep fighting. 2 Corinthians 11, if you want to turn there, I'm going to start in about verse uh, 16 or so. If anyone had any reason in the natural just to lay down and quit and lose his fight, it was this guy. He says in verse 16, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him for more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Um, how many understand that you, you usually don't survive it the first time? 30 times. Think about that. 39 lashes. And again, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, like the Jews as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities and the deserts and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked harder. And long enduring many sleepless nights, I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Thus, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. And this is a guy who wouldn't quit. Listen to this in Acts 20, 24. He said, but none of these things move me. That needs to be your attitude. Come on, shout that out. None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. 
And he just didn't say this to himself. He said it to his son of the faith, 2 Timothy 4, 7. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. How many want to say that one day? Everybody look at me. This is not that day. This is not that time. You get to say it one day, but this is not that time for you. He says in 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you have recalled and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. People know you're a believer. They saw you. They saw your lifestyle. Now fight the what? The good fight of faith. It's what in the Greek is called an agonizomai. It's where we get our word agony from. It's a matter of fighting. You have to stand. You can't win if you crawl out of the ring. Can I have an amen? You can't win if you throw in the white towel. You have to stay in there. Hallelujah. Well, I'm being punched. Well, yes, you're being punched. That's part of it. The devil's not playing games, so why would you think you're playing games? You're not. It's, it's a real fight. It's a real struggle. It's a real agony at times. But how many understand the prize is wonderful? The victory is wonderful. The results are wonderful if you'll hang in there. And that's why the devil's after your fight. He's trying to wear you down. Let me say it again. He's trying to wear you down. And aren't you glad it didn't work? What will he do? He'll use anybody. He'll use an employer. He'll use a spouse. He'll use mom and dad. He'll use a family member. He'll use people that are in the church. He'll use people that are out of the church. Whatever it takes, he will use people in situations and circumstances to try to wear you down because the only way you can lose is if you quit. Amen? I look around this room and I see people because I've been here enough, I know what they've been through. And I know probably more than most of you do, what many have been through, and yet they just won't quit. There are weebles that wobbled, but they wouldn't fall down. They take a licking. And they keep on ticking, and every other ridiculous cliche you can throw out there, the fact is, he tried to wear them down. My exhortation is to you now in this year when we're going to see supernatural increase and God do miracles and signs and wonders like never before. Now is not the time to let yourself be worn down. It's time to be restored. It's time for God to, to move in your life and see things happen that you stood for. Watch him do something amazing in your life. I'll tell you, God watches when people are not given to quitting. These are the very people he raises up. These are the very people he can entrust with anointings and with powers and forces and gifts because, you know what, they, they hung in there when the devil threw everything at them but the kitchen sink. And some of you had the kitchen sink thrown at you. You had the reflexes to dodge, hallelujah. Turn to somebody and tell them, don't quit. Scripture tells us, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, I want you to put your eyes on this. Because the devil uses things the scripture calls as schemes or devices against God's people. And in this verse he says, If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And if I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven it in the presence of Christ for your sake. And watch this in order that Satan should not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Write that word down in big bold letters, schemes. It's often translated also as devices. 
But the word itself in the Greek is very, very interesting. The word itself actually means the thought behind the device. Watch this. It literally means to be pregnant with thought. Pregnant with thoughts. In this case, what kind of thoughts? Thoughts to take you out. The enemy is pregnant with thoughts to come against your life. If that's the case, then if you can somehow beat back the manifestation of that thought, you can defeat the one who has the schemes, the one who has the devices. Look at somebody and say, don't repeat the devil's thoughts. You reject those thoughts, don't you, church? When the scripture tells us to cast down vain imaginations and everything exalts itself above what? The knowledge of God, that means exalts itself above the thoughts of God or the word of God. We are the ones responsible to cast it down. Now, it helps, of course, to have a knowledge of the word of God. What does God's word actually say? Uh, Being proficient with the word. But then it's actually recognizing here comes one of those thoughts he's pregnant with, one of these schemes. I'm going to intentionally cast that thing down. And I'm going to focus instead on what did God say. When the devil says you're a nobody, you say I'm the head, not the tail. Amen? The devil says you'll never recover. You say, no, by his stripes, I am what? I am healed. When he says, well, you're going to just be on your own here financially. God didn't care about that stuff. You say, no, devil. What does the word say? My God shall supply, shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, we've been taught these things. But when it comes to the devil trying to get you to voluntarily let go of your diligence, which is one of the key factors to your increase, he will use these thoughts, the thought behind the device, and they're extremely effective normally. But watch this. The context of this verse is in the context of forgiveness. These thoughts that he's pregnant with, are particularly effective in the mind of a Christian who's not walking in love. These particular thoughts are very effective in the heart and the mind of a Christian who won't forgive. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to mess with his devices, period. But I don't want to put steroids on his devices by walking out of love. Now, Paul wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is not my word. He simply said, in this context, that if we operate in the spirit of forgiveness, you and I have the ability to combat and deal with the schemes and the devices, these thoughts. He's pregnant with thoughts for our demise. He is pregnant with thoughts to pressure us to quit and give up. And his thoughts are more effective on you when you get out of love. No, that's not true. I can do whatever I want to do and it doesn't happen to me. Listen, you don't even have to be aware that the devil is getting a foothold in your life. Everything you do, you want to make sure you're, you're lining up with the law of the love of God. I don't care what somebody's done to you or said about you, you stay in love. Raise your hand if somebody's treated you ugly, said something about you ugly, done something terrible. Yeah, your choice is if you're going to make it, if you're going to stay diligent, is to release that all to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you seven of these things, these pregnant thoughts of the enemy. One is distraction. I mean, anything you can do to get your eyes off the things of God, off the people of God, off the Word of God. It could be a temptation like in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 for Jesus, or it could just simply be even something that seems reasonable. You know, this person has a 
as a legitimate issue. And so now you're diverting all your attention and your thought and your focus on this thing. That is not coming from God. That stronghold is not from God. The enemy is trying to get you to accept one of his pregnant thoughts so he can actually wear you down. So if you're being distracted from the things of God, what's happening is the enemy is at work in your heart, against your heart, your life, against your mind, trying to undermine what God has for you. Don't take the bait. Amen. You've got to constantly recalibrate and get back onto the things of God when you feel like you're being distracted. Now, how many know there are a lot of distractions out there? Amen. Not just temptations. They don't have to be sins or even temptations. They can be seemingly good things that are occupying all of your time. I mean, somebody told me about a, a believer that uh, actually plays so many video games that he actually wears diapers, doesn't even want to get up to go to the bathroom. Now, how do you understand? That's probably not a very victorious believer. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, that person who can't even go to the potty because of his dedication to a video game is probably not going to be a world changer for Jesus Christ. Well, there's an extreme. Hey, there are all kinds of things that can catch your attention and divert you off of the high calling of God. Number two is discouragement. That just means to be disheartened. If you feel like something supernaturally is working against your heart to discourage you, there is. The the, the devil, Bible says, comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's why God told Joshua to what? Don't be discouraged. Write this down in your paper. Discouragement's not just a feeling, it's a sin. Yielding to discouragement is a sin. There's no way to yield to discouragement and then live the righteous life that God desires. You're not going to do God's will. That's why I repeatedly told Joshua, listen, don't be discouraged. Be courageous. Not discouraged, not cut off from your courage, but be courageous through the things of God. To be disheartened, it's like somebody just ripped out your heart and stomped on it. Yeah, life can seem that way depending on what you've been through. But you realize the bigger picture is the enemy trying to get you to quit, trying to take the fight out of you. Number three is discredit. Um, The devil, if he can't get you with distraction or discouragement, he'll try to use slander and disparaging. He'll try to have all kinds of things blow up in your face, misunderstanding. One of these days, you just have to grow up and say, I don't care what people think about me. Until you get delivered from people, you can't get people delivered. Sooner or later, you have to say, you know what, I, I, I love it and people like me or whatever. But the bottom line is, your job is not to be liked as a child of God. Somebody probably should be upset with you right now in this world. And if they're not, you're probably not doing your job. A lot of believers just want to be loved by everybody and accepted by everybody. If you do that, it's a tormenting way to live, first of all. Second of all, you know, sooner or later, if you're going to follow the dictates of the Word of God, you're going to put somebody on the rope. Somebody is not going to like the stand that you actually have. But how many know we're here to honor people? We're here to honor God. Come on, say it with me. Discredit. Um, What do you do when somebody slanders you? You forgive them. When they talk ugly about you, what do you do? You forgive them. Your flesh may want to do what? Defend yourself. Uh, Watch this. Facebook is training an entire new generation of Christians to defend themselves and they should be quiet. Don't defend yourself. You trust the Lord to take care of these things. 
suck you in, get you into strife, and next thing you know, you're all upset and you're full of bitterness and you're full of all kind of vent and vigor trying to, trying to make them see or make other people see. Why are you doing that for? You're not doing that because it's God-ordained. You're doing that because there's some pride there and you don't want people thinking ill of you. Well, I don't want the people that are watching this play out to somehow think that I'm the villain here, so I have to stand up for myself. No, you don't. First of all, if you, if you do that, if you just ignore it, you'll drive them crazy. It'll have far greater effect on them by doing nothing than if you entered into fray with them. So you're going to walk with God, some people are going to say some ugly things about you. Amen. Right now, um, as evangelical believers in Christ, there are people, forces in this nation, wanting to declare us as a terrorist organization. Jim the terrorist. Can you believe this? You got to look shady over there. Why would they do something like that? To keep our mouths shut. To get us in a place where they somehow control what we do and what we say. It's not going to work. It never has worked. Persecution against the church has never done anything but expand and explode the church. Must just absolutely terrorize the devil to do that. But he never seems to learn. And every time he does this, wherever he's ever done this, the church actually catches fire and it grows. Amen. Number four, disown. This is hard because this is when somebody will abandon you, turn their back on you, reject you at the devil's prompting. I mean, no, rejection is not easy to take. Whether you're in a present relationship or something in your, in your life earlier, it's hard to take. Um, Dr. Barkley was talking about a young couple that when he was first in ministry, he just poured his life into it. Every pastor has stories just like this. I mean, just where you love them, you help them, you support them, you build them up, you open up doors for them, you, you promote their ministry, whatever God's doing. And, you know, you blink and they're not there. That's just the reality of ministry. And you probably have people that you've poured into, and now all of a sudden they're not all thrilled with you. That's part of life. But he called Lester Summerall for counsel. Now, how many you know if you're going to call Lester Summerall? <laughs> you better be ready to take it, because he had no pastoral anointing or empathy whatsoever. Uh, that's just that wasn't his ministry. But he sat under John Osteen as a pastor, and Lester Summerall was a, a father in the faith to him as well before he went home to be with the Lord. In fact, Lester Summerall announced at the Bible conference in Tulsa that this was the last meeting he was going to do. They wouldn't see him alive ever again. Guess what? A few days later, he left the planet. Powerful man of God. <laughs> But uh, so he calls him up on the phone. You know, Brother Summerall, I have this couple, and he cut him off in the middle of his question. They didn't let him finish. <laughs> and he said, Mark, is your church a living organism? And he said, yeah. Lester Summerall said, every living organism has to have a bowel movement. He said, now flush and get back to work. Lester Summerall. <laughs> he got that way because he was influenced by Smith Wigglesworth. <laughs> um, Lester Summerall made the mistake of knocking on Smith Wigglesworth's door one day and asking Smith Wigglesworth how he felt. He knocks on the door and 
How you doing? How you feeling, Brother Wigglesworth? I don't tell Brother Wigglesworth. You know, I tell Brother Wigglesworth how he feels. I don't ask him. I'm telling you, that's an anointed word for somebody here. You need to flush and get back to work. You stay in love, but you don't live there in that rejection. Whether it is a relationship or somebody you poured your life into, whatever it is, you don't stay there. Turn to somebody and say, flush, and get back to work. Amen? <laughs> Terry uh, uh, Pearson's, that's, you know, George's wife, Pastor Eagle Mountain Church, she, her best friend in the whole world. One day came to them and said, you know, we want nothing else to do with you, and we're going about our way. We're walking away from this ministry. You do what you want. When George got home, Terry was in a fetal position in the front room, bawling her eyes out, because this close, close friend had done this. And so they went to see Brother Copeland. <laughs> and um, in the middle of the night, sat down there in his robe, you know, down in the kitchen, you know, got something to drink. And they told him a story. He goes, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, just, it's not your responsibility to grow the church. You just preach the word of God, be faithful to God, and God will take care of the rest. And I'll tell you what, there comes a time where you grow up in the Lord and you really don't care about people's rejection. And if you care too much, you're not going to be a diligent Christian. There's no way to be diligent to keep your fights and keep on meditating and caring and pining over being rejected in your life. Are you here? In fact, you can block the good thing that God still has for you around the corner by pining over what's gone. Amen. Come on, everybody say, flush and get back to work. That's what Lester Summerall says. Come on, say, flush and get back to work. Doesn't mean get ugly, mean, and tell a bunch of people. No, you just simply focus on what God has assigned you to do instead of letting yourself be trapped by rejection. The, the root of rejection, the spirit of rejection, is one of the most powerful things to contend with if you allow it to take root in your life. It'll jade everything you see, every relationship. You'll filter everything somebody says to you or doesn't say to you. If they, you know, wave at you, they didn't wave long enough at you. Amen. They walk by and don't shake your hand. They didn't shake my hand. They don't love me. They hate me. If they're in a hurry, you know, and they don't spend the time you think they should, you know, then they're rejected. And on and on it goes. You have this filter. It's a terrible way to live your life. You can't be victorious spiritually. You certainly can't be diligent when you're operating that way. Number five, dispose. When they couldn't get Jesus to do what he wanted, they couldn't shut him up, they just what? They moved to do what? totally destroy him, to kill him, to take him out, whatever. That spirit is in the land as well. Say it with me, it's called cancel culture. Um, Senator Hawley from Missouri, which Missouri was a big Trump-supporting state and a very conservative state to this day, decided that he was going to, uh, you know, object to some of the results. And I believe he was reject, uh, objecting to Pennsylvania, but it really didn't make any difference. The point is that Politicians have been doing this all the way back to George Bush versus Al Gore protesting certain electoral votes. But all of a sudden, because Josh Hawley does it and Ted Cruz does it, some of them, they're inciting you know, insurrection in this country. 
Well, then what were the other party doing, you know, the previous elections every single time somebody was elected? What was Maxine Waters doing is she told people and crowds to, when you see somebody in, in the Trump cabinet, go harass them, you know, go up in their face at restaurants, you know, when you see them anywhere, push on them and yell at them and scream. What is that? I guess that's not inciting, you see, to riot or insurrection. In other words, if you're going to function this way, you're just going to have to realize as a child of God, some people are going to want you canceled big time. Are you okay with that? Good news, though, is God's not canceling you. God's restoring you. Amen? Um, it's ridiculous. So they, you know, Simon and Schuster, they cancel his, his book publishing. Well, another publisher picks it up. Praise the Lord. Amen? God is well able to still get that voice out there, isn't he? Uh, that's the wickedness that we're dealing with right now. You don't say the right thing, think the right thing, handle something, situation, make one mistake, and we're going to cancel your whole life. We're going to try to take your, your livelihood away. We're going to take your platform away. We're going to cancel your Twitter account. <laughs> the My Pillow guy had his Twitter account taken away from him. Why? Because he said the same thing. There were ir- ir- you know, ir- you know, irregularities in the election cycle, and for that they took his voice away. This is what you're dealing with. Well, how do you understand Jesus and the disciples evangelized the whole known world? They didn't have Twitter. What are we going to do without Facebook? <laughs> That's not where the power is at. Amen. The power of the gospel is not Twitter. It's not Facebook. Um, could you possibly, as a child of God in Murray, Kentucky, be canceled because of that spirit? Oh, Yeah. On February 6th, we're going to honor the memory of Jim Laval here. It's going to be Saturday at 11 o'clock. I can tell you without any hesitation at all, as the other party that was involved in this is also no longer here on this planet, but that was exactly what happened in his case with Murray State University. Now, I am a graduate, and I love Murray State University, but the fact is he was on the wrong spectrum politically and religiously to be accepted by certain people in a certain department, and it was my department. And I can tell you that it's a stench in the nostrils of God, and Jim never really recovered from that experience. It was very, very hurtful and very, very painful to go through that. But it's real. In essence, he was on the front end of this thing. Amen. Thank God if God preserves and protects you and strategically places you in in a potentially antagonistic environment, but you have to understand that this is how the enemy works against the people of God. If he can't do anything else, he'll try to cancel them. Well, guess what? This is all going to backfire on that culture. The problem is, if, if you do this, then one day you happen to be in the wrong group. The one doing the canceling right now, a year from now, can be what? In the group that's being canceled. You can't live that way, and you can't let yourself be affected by that. So, it's not as you know, prevalent in, in our area of the country, but I'm telling you what, it's, it's ridiculous in every field you go into, every situation, every kind of scenario. And it's, it's a stench in the nostrils of God because it speaks of, of no grace. It speaks of no, no compassion, no mercy for anyone. I don't care if they're in entertainment or sports. If you know, one golfer called himself a racial, not a racial slur, but a, a gender slur, and he lost a huge sponsorship by calling himself a name. This world has gone crazy. You mean I can't even call myself a name anymore? Not according to these people. It's in every area. 
And you need to be aware of this. This is how he operates. Um, they tried it with Jesus. Let's throw him off a cliff. And what does the scripture say? They just walked right through him. Turn to somebody and say, that's what you're going to do. You're just going to keep on walking right through it. Be what God wants you to be. Hallelujah. Praise God. Number six is deception. To con, to deceive, to bamboozle you. It's often said, and has been said many times here, the problem with somebody who is deceived is they don't know they're being deceived. Fight tooth and nail to protect that deception. What's the antidote for deception? The truth of God's word. Stay grounded in God's word so you can discern truth from something that's a lie. Amen. Good from evil. That's the key. Stay in the word of God. And seven is destruction. That means to undermine, to destroy, to tear down. Now, these are operating all the time. And the design of any one or any combination of these is to get you to be worn out, tired. Raise your hand if sometime last year you felt like you were getting worn down. Just a couple of you. How many of you walked in there tonight and you're worn down? <laughs> lay hands on you, raise you back from the dead. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yes, realize it's not just natural things going on here. There are supernatural things. The devil has thoughts that are pregnant for your demise. Now watch this. Don't throw gasoline on these devices by walking out of love. No matter what device is used on you or who it comes through, stay in love. I frankly marvel when I think about some of these people in the body of Christ, like Brother Copeland, who have just done amazing things for the body of Christ and been there time and time again for people on their worst day. Um, He's a valley walker and never publicizes it. And the things that he has done to support ministries and support, you know, emergency situations. When the hurricane Katrina hit in New Orleans, most people don't even know, the first plane that arrived filled with medicines for the Marines and National Guard came from Fort Worth, Texas. The first plane on the ground was to take care of people. People don't know. And the things that are said, and they even see other Christians repeat these things. Like little parrots, showing their lack of knowledge in their ignorance. And I, I've always marveled that, that, you know, first of all, how can, how can someone live under that constant pressure? The things that are said, the things that are done. And not just by the world. Oftentimes the world will go, what's that all about? It's the people in the church that have the biggest problem. Because they don't have any revelation on these things. And so they poke and they prod. They don't even have any idea... The people behind these things are actually human beings. God is using them. And I didn't understand it. I mean, I feel like we've been through some things about this time. It was around the the transition from Hawkinsville to here, you know, and it was minor compared to what some of these men and women of God have gone through. A lot of people say, I want a ministry like Joyce Meyer. No, you don't, because you have no idea. No idea. The price they pay to do the things that they do. And most of them don't even talk about those things. They're human beings. They're, they're in their flesh and blood. And I didn't understand this. And so I went to a meeting with Kelly in, in Chattanooga years ago, and they did a victory campaign there. And uh, I heard him begin to talk about this thing and how the anointing and the release of the anointing is connected to your love life. How you stay in love affects whether you're anointed. And it also, according to Paul, affects how successful these devices are. Come on, say it with me. I don't want... These devices 
to work in my life. You need to make sure, no matter what, you stay in love. You'll drain these things of their power if you'll stay in love. So I'm just sitting there listening to this great man of God teach on the anointing and teach on the things of God. And uh, all of a sudden he began to talk about somebody who had come to him and said, did you, did you read that book about you? Did you read that newspaper article about you? Did you? He goes, he goes, oh, I don't read those things. You know, people spend 25 cents on that paper and tomorrow it's at the bottom of a bird cage. And then he goes, I think the birds have the right idea. And this is the lesson. Don't ever believe anything good because you become arrogant and proud. Don't read it and believe all the things that are negative because it will, it will discourage you, it will dishearten you. Now, you may not have people writing books about you. There was a crackpot over here at Murray State that he's gone now, but he posted something about this church and, and me, how we're leading people to hell. You know, congratulations, you're going to hell, brother, because you're at Hope Harbor today. <laughs> And uh, he had a real chip on his shoulder you know, towards Mark and Chi Alpha. And um, even associated Mark with some things that, that they don't even teach at that time over there. It was more about what we taught here. And he just got you know, all, all riled up. And I realized that when I saw this, 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 you know, this website, when he was doing it, I just kind of laughed about it because it's just sheer ignorance. He'd go to our website and he'd, he'd pick out a line or two in a sermon in a 45-minute message, completely out of context, and he would begin to go off on this kind of thing. And I thought, you know, wow, not to have any more of a life than that. It's unreal. Uh, multiply that times a thousand times a thousand to get the idea of what a lot of people in the ministry go through. I'm just telling you, you give great force and weight to these devices when you come out of love. You can't do it. Turn to somebody and tell them, stay in love. Continue to walk in love. No matter what they do, no matter what they say. We're talking about you being diligent. Look, a lot of people, put you this way, a lot of people forfeit their spiritual inheritance because of an emotional response. Don't give up God's best because you couldn't keep this thing under control. Amen? And after all, 99% of what people say is not true anyway, is it? Why should you be upset over something that you know is not even true? Unless it's true, right? If it's true, you should repent and go on about your business and walk with God. But a lot of times, of course, it's not. And yet it's getting on the inside of you. So stay in love and you'll rob these thoughts, these devices of their power to work against you. Turn to somebody and tell them, I think the birds have the right idea. Come on, say Lester Summerall has the right idea. Come on, shout it out, flush it, and get back to work. Amen. Praise God. I don't know if I'm helping you, but I'm helping me tonight. Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's a huge revelation from Lester Summerall. I appreciate that. <laughs> Brother Osteen had a couple that had been causing strife at Lakewood for years, and Mark also told this one. I'm not sure this way he didn't. <laughs> Yeah, he, uh, he was sitting in there about to go to, to lunch with Dr. Barkley. And his uh, secretary comes in and says, Brother Osteen, this, this little couple out here is coming up the sidewalk. I think they want to talk to you. And so he jumped up out of his seat and he said, come on, Mark. You know, that's your church business. I'll just wait for you to get, no, come on, I want you to see this. And he met them in the middle of the sidewalk there, about halfway up. 
and he, he kissed the, the, the husband on the cheek and, the, and he kissed the wife on the cheek and gave them both hugs and he said, now, now this is not your church and I'm not your pastor now. You go find out where you belong. Right there on the sidewalk, Mark's straw is like hitting the floor here. <laughs> and they're like, what? Now keep in mind that you have no idea how long he put up with this kind of stuff. Uh, the division and hurt in the church. And so they kind of turned around just, just completely taken off guard. And he said bye, smiled at him, you know, hugged him, waved at him. They walked down the sidewalk, and then they turned around after about 25 feet. Brother Osteen says, now, no, no looking back, no looking back. Go on now. Go to where the Lord wants you to go. Hallelujah. Uh, how many of you stand? Let's just summer on John, John Osteen were two peas in a pod. <laughs> Amen. Pastor, have you ever done that? I thought about it. Just, just never have, hallelujah. You cannot allow, you know, your destiny and your increase to be affected by what people say or do. Amen. Glory to God. Say it, I'm going to stay in love. Say it one more time. Flush and get back to work. Amen. Let's say that you hang on. Let's say that the devil doesn't get you to quit. Let's say that you maintain your fight in the midst of all the nonsense going on in the world right now. There are some promises for you for Scripture. I want you to write these down. Promises to the diligent. Number one, the Bible says, the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Proverbs 10.4. Do you still believe that God is able to increase you? If you're diligent. Number two, the hand of the diligent will rule. But the slack can will be put to forced labor. What does that mean? You're going to rule over situations and circumstances in your life. Proverbs 12, 24. The hand of the diligent will rule. Number three, the soul of the diligent is made fat. The soul, not the body. Proverbs 13, 4. I believe this means you'll experience true fulfillment in life. You're going to have a healthy soul. You're going to have peace, and you're going to have parity on the inside. Number four, the man diligent in business will stand before kings. Proverbs 22, 29 means you'll be you know, respected and promoted. There'll be honor in your life because you're actually diligent in the things of God. Number five, wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathers by labor shall increase. Proverbs 13, 11, you'll have ever-increasing success in your life. Say that it would be ever increasing success. That is, if you're diligent. If you don't take the devil's bait. If you don't go the way that uh, you shouldn't go. Number six, in all labor there's profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. Proverbs 14, 23, your efforts will be profitable. Amen. Whatever you do for the kingdom of God, whatever you do in business or in your labor, God is well able to bless it if you are diligent. Amen. You'll find out that the diligent always rise to the top. The diligent are always the ones walking in the blessing and seeing God do things in their lives. That doesn't mean it's a perfect existence, but you're going to see God bless the hands that are diligent. Number six, in all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. Their efforts will be profitable. So they will be profitable. And then number seven, he that tills his land shall be satisfied with bread. He that follows vain persons is void of understanding. Proverbs 28, 19, your needs will be satisfied. God will prove that he is your provider. How do you know that he is? Amen. Say he's my provider. Say he's my provider. Now say it like this. I choose to be diligent, 
to stay in love, to reject every device, and continue being diligent for the glory of God. What's going to happen is good things are going to happen in your life as you're just hanging there. Amen? Thank God you didn't let the devil wear you out. How do you know that, Pastor? Because we're our Christians certainly won't come on a Wednesday night in church. You say, well, I'm worn out on the inside. My body's here. That's fine. You keep doing that, and what's going to happen is your spirit's going to be revived. Mind's going to be renewed. Hallelujah. You're making a good choice, making a good decision. Just continue doing what you're doing. Don't let yourself be wore out. Don't let the devil steal your diligence. If he can't get your diligence, he cannot get your increase. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap and thank him tonight for it.